Welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and we have an empty yet jam-packed pod today. No, Mister Martin Theobald. Uh, guys, if anyone sees a dishevelled and slightly deranged man walking up the M1, just going, "I can't believe we lost to Arsenal." Yeah, just send him back to do the podcast. We need him today. <laughs> that yeah. is, of course, and the for voice. all the Arsenal fans. You already know, right? Mr. Terry Chapandama. Order's been restored. All is right in the world again. <laughs> uh, you'd have really loved to have twisted a knife today, wouldn't you? Listen, he knows, man. He's, he's sat at home in his Transformers duvet, just crying. <laughs> and he's all probably, that Transformers duvet's probably got the consistency of cardboard by now, the amount of wanking he's done underneath it. Imagine if that shit gets stuck in like the duvet. Is it feather or synthetic? I wonder. Uh, I, uh, Do you reckon he's gone goose? Does anyone put like goose down quilt inside like a Transformers duvet? It strikes me I bet as, her as exclusively as a kid. synthetic. Can you imagine Hearn as a kid with a little Transformers duvet? That's probably where he got it from. Like He probably had one as a kid all <laughs> goose feathered yeah. out with the goose feather the it pillows. It would explain why I went straight to that. Yeah, just reliving his childhood through Martin. So we don't have a Martin this weekend, um, but we do have a Terry. And yeah. what have you been up to this weekend, Terry? Oh, fucking hell, not much, man. Shitting myself about getting run over on the pavement at one point. Oh, yeah, you said about this, about the potential of getting kidnapped. You was ready to fight back. You was ready to fight hey, me. Like, do you know those, those moments when... You're like, it's kill or be killed. I didn't understand what the fuck was going on. Like, if or, it, or nothing well, like, like that. No, but... but in in the daytime it's fine because you can see into the into the car. But when the wind when it's nighttime and you got the headlights in your face, you don't know what's going on. I mean, you you could be dead. But now you know, bit of adrenaline rush. Why not? And Saturday, obviously, was your call. It was kind of like a new age boxing podcast kind of social because everyone seemed to be there. You know, when you get those kind of ensemble casts in a film, like the the Michael Jackson Liberian Girl video, and everyone's just in it. And well, it was like that. Interesting example to bring up. Yeah, yeah, because okay. just fucking hell, who was there? Sam, Richie, obviously Martin was there. Winnie was there. Uh, Shaz was there. Saw his head floating about. Rob Martin was there. Uh, Beyond the Ropes guys were there. Paul Altai there. Rob Cass was there, but I didn't get to see him. But so we like the, the Craig was there, obviously. And you know, what? <laughs> I think the highlight of my night is Craig showing up in a bronze bomber jacket. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's just the whole bronze bomber thing stuck with him. But he seemed like he was having a good time as well. Look, I'm sure I've forgotten some people. So don't be offended if I have. It was, it was just good to see everyone out. And you think where we were a year ago before we'd done the live show. We didn't. We didn't know we'd end up in this sort of position, did we? So, it's it's vindication, but it's also affirmation that 
when you try and build a network and a community of people that have the shared interests and passions. Uh, Daniel Smith as well and Ben and all those guys who I saw yesterday. Sorry, forgot you guys. But when you try and build that community and be inclusive, like it just makes the whole stronger than some of the individual parts. Um, yeah, I wholeheartedly endorse that. Um, I had a gig yesterday, so I wasn't able to make it. How was it? Uh, it was rusty. I mean, I hold my hands up. Not that anyone could call me out on it because everyone was nobody was there because there weren't a lot of many. Did, did you lose ten stone in a year before you did that gig? <laughs> no, it was. Uh, but it was fun. It was fun, nevertheless. Did you battle your demons? Do you feel that just playing that gig in itself is a victory? Shaking off some gig rust is what I was doing <laughs> yesterday. Uh, <laughs> at one point, I forgot the words to one of the songs, so I just style it out with some recycled words that didn't make a lot of sense. Straight Andy White ad-libs. So that is it, yeah. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I did. It's almost like you were there. Um, but nobody really cares yeah. about that. So Talk to him. And imagine Andy just said, can I get a little love on the bass, please? <laughs> Mate, you, you're you looking for a bassist. He's like, <laughs> yeah, like turn up just with the microphone. He's like, he hasn't, no, he hasn't got, a, why hasn't he got a bass guitar? Da, he does everything, beatbox. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, Right, so not a massive amount to talk about today, is there? For, no, 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 first thing I'd like to touch on, and hopefully we can just do this in one take, but thoughts and prayers go out to Adonis Stevenson. He's in intensive care, I think it's in Montreal, or maybe Quebec City, didn't double check that. But he lost to Alexander Gvodchik last night, 11th round stoppage. It looks neurological because I don't think the punches that stopped him were hellish. And I just at the moment pray there's no sense in digging deeper into why it happened, but we just hope that he's okay. And that's probably his last fight, which is a shame. It's not the way to go out. But it shows that Gavodchik's world level, if nothing else, the, the reason I know him is he beat a friend of mine in the World Amateur Championships, a kid called Javan Young. And Javan was going to quit boxing based on that loss. And now you look at what Gavodchik's gone on to achieve and you're like, you know, that's why you can't take these losses personally. Sometimes people are just that damn good. Yeah, it's uh, just checking up on it now. It says he's in a critical condition and as uh, and, and was as of 42 minutes ago when it was reported. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to start giving updates too much on it because I have no idea on any more detailed updates. Um, but of course, the biggest story of the night not necessarily the most important but the biggest wilder fury um so i imagine everyone that listens to this has seen it it's hard to find a youtube stream for it so if you weren't streaming live last night or you didn't buy it you're probably struggling to get a a clear handle on it but and we'll talk about the build-up afterwards i think it's just worth touching on the reaction online to the result. So everyone knows that obviously it was given as a split decision draw. So what that means essentially is one judge gave it for one, one judge gave it for the other, the third judge gave it as a draw. So if, if, uh, could, if it was, if it was two judges that gave it as a draw, majority decision draw. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and what about if three judges score it as a draw, just a draw. 
unanimous draw, unanimous right, decision okay. draw. All right, fair enough. Um, so what I mean, there there has been a massive amount of outrage. Uh, uh, Paulie Managi said, you know, I hope he never works. Well. He shouldn't work in boxing ever again. Ooh, the guy that gave it 7-5 to Wilder. Alejandro, I can't remember his last name was, the yeah. judge, yeah. So he's the guy that gave it 7-5 to Wilder. He gave the first three round, four rounds, I think, to Wilder as well. Well, because the, the gap was so wide, wasn't it? That it, it, it seemed to defy all logic. The, well, by the time that Wilder scored a 10-8 on the round, there was... There, let's put it this way. By the time the four rounds were were over, there was never a point where Fury catches up to Wilder on his cards. Yeah, so... So, yeah, so let's deal with the scorecards, right? And let's go on the assumption that there were no knockdowns. So we'll just call everything a 10-9, a 9-10, a 10-10, whatever. In simple terms, one judge had it 7-5 Wilder. One judge had it 7-5 Fury, and one judge had it 8-4 Fury. If that's the decision on the night, that's essentially a split decision to Fury, right? Yeah. And on the basis of the narrative of the fight, you would go home with that. You'd be a bit annoyed at this guy on this side, but you'd go home with that, right? Yeah. And you say, right, the right guy won. What complicates it is the fact that there are two 10-8 rounds. So where where Fury's 8-4 up, he loses those two points, right? So for, instead of it being a 116-112... It's now a 114, 112. Instead of it being a 115, 113 in Fury's favor, it's now 113, 113. And then instead of it being 115, 113 in Wilder's favor, it's now 115, 111. That's why people are disgusted with that scorecard. Because it's like, it doesn't reflect the, the narrative of the fight as we remember it going through. But you have to. You have to peel away the emotion and you have to peel away the desire for your guy to win and so forth. And you also have to peel away the Barry Jones commentary because he was wrong on virtually everything that he called. It was actually embarrassing commentary and he's becoming... I really enjoyed the commentary. He's become Jim Watt, but not like the good Jim Watt from like the 90s. He's become like the kind of senile Jim Watt. Uh, so guy- I don't, who, the, who was the main commentator? It was John Rawling and Barry Jones. So... so- John Rawling seemed to be at times getting a bit carried away for me. Like, yeah. and I felt like Barry Jones brought him back down to earth with some of the things he was saying. But he wasn't, what, what he was saying wasn't happening in the ring. Yeah, well, so, so, what, no, we'll come back to that, but okay, let, let's just right. deal with the scorecards. Let's take away the Pro Wilder scorecard for a second, right? Because we, we can all agree that was off and that was wrong. The other two scorecards are consensus scorecards where they agree on everything except for one round, round number six. So you can't really criticize these judges. They've essentially seen the same fight. Um, Just looking at the first third of the fight, I think it was 10-9 Fury, and then they gave the next three rounds to Wilder. Don't really get it. I probably had a 2-2 split after four. And then they broadly align around that until round six. Round six, one gives it to Wilder, one gives it to Fury. That's what turns it from being two eight fours or two seven fives into one eight four one seven five in terms of scorecards. And if you if you look at those two, you're like, well, 
does that feel like the fight you saw? So I'm going to ask you, Andy, how did you feel? Just as a high level, because to me, my view was it felt like an 8-4 fight. Like let's 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 just look at it all as a sequence. Are we, are we deducting? Are we no, 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 negating no, no. the ten just, just just the rounds that you give to someone, right? Uh, I must admit, I didn't score it. That's usually yeah. I do, but yeah. like when it comes to Fury, I feel myself. Look, my cards on the table. I, I really enjoy watching Tyson Fury, and and he 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 evokes emotions in me that I don't really get with other fighters. I want him to win so much so that I will accept that when I watch it, I can't remain neutral. Uh, what I feel is neutral necessarily, not as neutral as I feel like I can position myself when I watch other fights. Also, because it evokes such emotion in me, I actually enjoy that suspense and enjoy the, the feeling engaged so much in the fight. So anyway, that's a long way of saying that I didn't score it because I, didn't, I enjoy being a fan in that moment. However, having said that, I felt like it was a sit for Wilder. It felt like a fight of feast and famine for me. Like some of the fight, some of the fight he would he would dominate with the like well the two knockdown fight. We'll discuss the technical side in a minute. I think we just want to because we want to put the scoring thing to rest. Okay, right, yeah, but but I'm I'm sort of addressing the fact that when it was a quiet round, I never saw. I can't I can't see watching it back how you give a majority of the first four rounds to Wilder. I can't, I just can't see it. So, it's, so this is where it gets interesting. What we can agree on is that it, logically, the, the worst decision you can come to about this fight is it's a 10-2 to Fury because he fell down twice, right? That's the, that's the best scorecard Fury can hope for. He wins 10 rounds, Wilder wins two. Is that a realistic scorecard? No. So then you say, Wilder must have won some of those 10 rounds where he didn't put Fury down. How many did he win? If he won one of those, we're now up to 9-3. Is that a realistic scorecard? To some people, yes. But objectively, I, I don't see how it's a 9-3 fight. So now we say, okay, let's give him two of the 10 rounds that you can dispute one way or the other. Because obviously, the two knockdowns are beyond debate. So now we're at 8-4. If you give Wilder two, if you give Wilder three of the 10 rounds where he didn't knock Fury down, you're at seven, five. And at that point, it's now a draw. Which, so, which so, is actually what the, I'm just looking at the um, scorecards here, which is actually what Phil Edwards uh, gave him. And isn't Phil Edwards a Brit? He's one of us. Uh, yeah, he's the one that gave the draw, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I think that's a a reasonable scorecard because I I had it eight four. So just high level to simplify things: one sixteen, one twelve. Take the two points off for the knockdowns. You're on one fourteen, one twelve. Having spoken to Martin, he also he says he ha I think he I, I don't want to exactly quote him, but I think he had the same what you're saying there, if not one round away but he could see how it could be a draw he was yes. like yeah i can see how it could be a draw based on basically the last round i think you can, look like, like i'm gonna now i'm gonna be super casual about this i don't think you can be handed a wbc championship if you've been put on your ass twice and in the second one you got iced like you know that creates a problem because you got a four-point void to fill 
So even before anything, you've got to get those four points back from somewhere, which is incredibly hard at the top level. So for me, in my as, as I was going through the fight and I went back on it, I had it, for me, by the conclusion, 8-4. Pull two points down, Fury wins by two. You switch one of those rounds to Wilder, it's a draw. That's a fine margin because there are some of those rounds where it's about what you like. So if you look at the, f- the first third yeah. of the fight's key because I think Fury dominated five, six, seven, and eight. I thought, well, not, not necessarily dominated. He was stronger in that sequence of the fight than Wilder was. And I don't think there's a debate do around you, that. How much do you remember about the first round? A fair bit because Barry Jones was horribly wrong about everything in that first round. <laughs> so who do you give the first round to? I gave it to... Wilder, I thought his jab was better. I liked that he was going to the head. I liked that he was going to the body. Because unanimously, and all of the judges gave it to Wilder. All of them give the first round well, to Wilder. Go back and watch that first round. I remember thinking in my head, Jesus Christ, this guy's trying to be slick. Because if you notice, he was slipping, he was rolling. He was doing all these things that are unwilderish. And he was, And what he was doing was, he was throwing that jab to the body. And he was getting an effect from Fury. And then if you remember what Barry Jones would say in the commentary, I just think that Flurry in the last 10 seconds wins the round for Tyson Fury. But I'm like, yeah. but what about the rest of the, the, the round yeah. where, where Wilder's pushing him back behind that jab? And yes, Fury's fainting, but every time Fury fainted, Wilder just take a little step back, then he'd come back in with his work. It was nip and tuck, but I liked the fact that Wilder seemed to be in control of proceedings in that first round. So in, of the first four, I gave Wilder one and I gave Wilder three. So by the end of the first part of the fight, for me, it's a 2-2 it's a split. And then in the middle part, hard to give Wilder a round. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's round six where it, start, it splits the judges. Yeah. Well, I say if you discount that Alejandro Rockin or Rochin, yeah. um, he basically gives the first four rounds to Wilder. Which I um, don't see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the rest. The, uh, 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 when you get to round five, the other two judges have given uh, the end of round five. I should say four rounds to, to Fury and the first to Wilder, and then it starts to split. Yeah, because because I just thought, look in simple terms for me, I'm going to split it into thirds. The first third was two two even. The second third was for me was all Fury. And then the knockdowns became a factor in the final third. Wilder's already won two rounds in the final third, right? Uh, so now, now Wilder's got four rounds. Fury's got eight. But the knockdowns then bring it, you know, that, that's what makes it interesting. Okay, so, but just to bring it back to the start of this, we said we're going to discount we'll discount that first judge. But, we, but when it comes to the main scorecards, you can't discount it because that has actually influenced the decision. True. So I, whilst you would say that, and and... I'm not putting words in your mouth, but to more or less paraphrase you during this conversation so far, you've said that that is a fair result given that Fury's been knocked down twice. You can't give give someone a belt regardless of, you know, you know. So the point I'm trying to make is how do you resolve in your own mind such a poor refereeing performance, uh, judging performance? Well, well no, no. It's, Even it's, if you no, no, do... no, 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 but it's 7-5 to Wilder. No, actually, no, no, no. I take that back. Fucking hell, that is a poor card because it's seven five to Wilder plus a knockdown. That's absolutely shocking. So I mean, you yeah. could say, you so could you, say, to, you know, if you were fair about it, you might say, well, you know, that other that third judge, if maybe it scored a draw, you could have a majority decision draw as we covered at the beginning. But 
The problem is you've got a judge that you look at who has given it a draw and you think, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. You've given it a judge who's given it as a Fury win. Most people can look at it and go, yep, yeah, that's what I had it as. And it's, it boils down to opinion on, you know, certain certain rounds where you've it's, it's skinnier teeth kind of, kind of job. But then when it comes to that third, and in this case, pivotal judge, he's... He knocks the whole thing out of whack. And in effect, what you've actually ended up happening is the judge who you would, uh, is it Robert, Robert Tapper, who has scored it for Fury, has actually, even though most people would sit behind that ruling, all he's done is save Fury from, you know, were he to have maybe seen a couple of, a couple of rounds differently. Would have been a majority draw. Yeah. yeah or... Or God forbid, it could you know it would have been hard. You had two Alejandros, and you watched. No, no, Phil Edwards's card had Phil Edwards's card been off. Well, yeah, that's more likely. I I accept it. Yeah, so it just uh, people were. I mean, look, my my personal opinion is slightly different to this, but having looked at it online at the beginning, uh, straight afterwards, people were incensed by it. Like, but that's emotion talking. My, If if you walk them through it. If you walk them through that fight and go, okay, why are you giving this round to Fury? They won't have a logical reason. It just felt like it was Fury's round. But there's a lot of stuff that Wilder does that he's never going to get credit for because we assume that he's this really crude windmill, essentially. But this stuff definitely came out towards no, no. the end when he tried to finish while uh, Fury. Yes, off. but but in, yeah. in in the first third of the fight, and for me, the first third's important because. It was where you saw what the Wilder tactical plan was. And it was to try and stay disciplined behind a jab, work it, work it. And when the opening comes, take it. Keep touching him. Initiate the attack. Touch him, touch him. I have a thing when I train heavyweights. And, you know, for those listening, little Terry secret. I try and get my heavyweights to engineer at least 28 attacks around. Now, whether they're single shot attacks, combination attacks, I'm not precious, but I want 28 attacks per round because I don't believe a boxer can be good defensively 28 times. So you're going to catch him at some point. I don't think either of those two were really embracing that. Fury tried, and I like that. Wilder did the opposite, and he was trying, almost trying to pot shot, which I found tactically a strange one. I don't know why he didn't just go out and just try and bomb Fury out, because I think he could have done that. The, 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 that's the questionable part about Wilder's tactics, just to sort of briefly step on you there. Like, the one thing that was the big question mark hanging over Fury was, what has he lost since he's been away? And surely, stamina could be one of those, you know, on, on the list of things that Fury's potentially lost, stamina and, um, well, uh, stamina, really. Reflexes. Yeah, those are sort of things that could go. So why didn't Wilder try and test them out? Because so, for me, Wilder looked like he'd punched himself out by about the tenth round. He would looked absolutely knackered. Don't, don't get me wrong; Fury didn't look like he was a bag of energy, but he was still moving and still looked like he had reserves in the tank. Whereas Wilder just looked like he was, you know, pressing the power button, tap, 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 waiting for that what, two or three bombs that he could throw every round. That's so, what it seemed to me. Well, okay, so but let's go back through Wilder's career. Ortiz, they'll tell you he was probably losing that on the cards. Spilker was probably losing that on the cards. He, <laughs> yeah. he, there are fights he's won, Do Harper's, there are a lot of fights he's won, but the scorecards will go, well, he was losing that on the scorecards. Yeah, and he thought he'd done that in the 12th. 
Hence yeah. the moonwalking and the tongue out and stuff like that. <laughs> then the Undertaker sat well, up. No, no, no. <laughs> well, let, 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 let's, pause, let, let's pause for for a second. Everyone thought that. Mm. The way Fury went down, we all just yeah. thought. Yeah, I did as well. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> Everyone thought that. Everyone, you, you all channeled your inner Jim Ross. My God. Oh, my God. For the love of God. <laughs> and then he got up. And I can remember, look, look, I, I'm watching this live and I'm like, I'm like, Wilder's just elevated himself to like superhuman. And then Fury got up. I was like, what? Do you know what? The funny thing is like for a man that big, you know that people when like uh, dancers or gymnasts or just basically flexible fit people can like when Kip they're on up. their back. Kick the leg. Like the rock. Like a kick up. Yeah. Is that have, have you ever seen that where it's the rock against Brock Lesnar and they do the double kip up? No, no. You need to Google that. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's one of the. It's, look, I know wrestling's fake, but there's certain moments in wrestling where you're like, wow. The athleticism is real. And that's, yeah. that's the cool part. But like, just, yeah, for those who are already getting incensed by the WWE comparisons, let's go back. Like, so the, he goes down, the referee, at the point where Fury Smashes comes... his head on the canvas. Yeah, and when he comes back round, because I'm still not convinced that he wasn't out cold for a few seconds, but regardless of that, the point the referee gets his hand above Fury's face, he's up five, right? If Fury had left it any more seconds, he would have had to have kicked up because there's no... like how Five seconds to get to your feet after 12 rounds of boxing. And, and it wasn't even that. He got up. And it was like his head had cleared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got up, he's like, what happened? There? No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, fine. Just, let, me, let me see it out. Just to sort of borrow a narr- uh, something that you've spoken about in the past, it's like, also, he used every single one of those seconds. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, he, he when I think he got to eight and he was on one knee and he took one more second before he stood up, shook his head off. Spoke to the referee, touched the referee to let him know he yep. knew where he was. And the referee also... Just one as well, and I'm I'm trying to remember what fight this is reminding me of, where the referee gave the boxer seemingly an age to get back. What what fight was it? Can you remember? And well, it, was it a Joshua fight? It might have been. It might have been. He just. It might have been Joshua Klitschko. It might have been hold. He, he gave him just like seconds and said, "Hold on a minute." But I, I, no, no, no. It wasn't. It was where he sent him to the doctor, and you were annoyed. Why do you? Why? Do, and it was in New York, wasn't it? Uh, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, yes, it was in New York. I can't remember the fight. Yeah. But he's like, why did he go to the doctor? Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. gave him the recovery time. Yeah. I, I, I'm, it's been be screaming at their recording devices now. You bloody casuals. Yeah. Where's Martin? <laughs> Where's Martin when we need facts and figures? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, like the referee didn't give him more than what? A second or two after that 10 count. And then he's back in again. Deontay comes but, forward. But, but was the count... Too, did it start too late? Was the count too long? I, I mean, that, that, I, I don't know. That's yeah. that's sub- subjective at, at this point. But I, but, and I haven't heard the argument made. That's not to say it isn't isn't correct. But then Wilder comes forward, you know, classic trying to finish him off. And I was just um, at that point, Christ, I'd gone down to my knuckles in terms of biting fingernail biting because I just thought 
you've just got to hold on. Because I remember the 12th round against Klitschko where Klitschko had come out swinging and Fury was wrapping him up, you know, playing it smart. Had it under control. Yeah, and and I was still nervous then, you know, because obviously at the, at the time you, you don't know what's gonna, what's coming. And I was just like, come on, just make it through. <laughs> but, but you see... They did so well. But, but here's, the, here's what I try and explain about if you've boxed your whole life, Fury's been in that position before. So I know he's been in that position against Price. I've seen it, in, I've seen it kind of when, they, when they've gone at it. I know it's happened in one of the ABA tournaments and they've, you know, where Fury's been under, you know what I mean? he's been on, on the ropes and under pressure. But it's those reps inspiring, sparring against guys who are better than you, bigger than you, stronger than you, where you learn those little tricks. And this is why it's important to learn your trade properly because it was experience that got him through that last round and then if you remember like once his head had properly cleared he was then on the front foot and he was like no yeah. no, no, i'm gonna let you know that i'm a real fighting man here okay so here's a question for you under what circumstances can you give a 10-9 round for a knockdown or can you not i just don't think you can no because because I've got to give you the round because like the knockdown outranks anything else that's happened in that fight unless you knock the other guy down yourself. And then, you know what I mean? So you've already got the 10 and that guy's got the nine, but he's got to lose a point for the knockdown. So you should... A knockdown so should, even if even if you lose the round, even if you completely lose a round, but you score the knockdown, you still win the round 10-9. Yeah. Uh, 10-8, sorry. Because knockdown's the... Right, you you okay. can't lose the round if you knock someone yeah, down. I'm, 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 not gonna, I'm not about to argue <laughs> that Fury should have got a 10-9 for, for, for falling over, but... No, no, because um, he got iced in that. Come on, like he... This, the 12th round, definitely. I thought the maybe the first knockdown would, was a lapse of concentration. Do you know what? A poor well, body position. When he went down the first time... Well, actually, we'll come, we'll come to that point in a second. When he went down the first time, I was like, this guy's throwing the fight. Like, literally, I thought, they're setting this up for a draw. <laughs> that was honestly like the inner conspiracy theories because I was like, how, how did you go down from that yeah. shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could see he was really frustrated with himself, whereas the second time, it felt like he was feeding his brains back into his ears. The, look, but so there were two things that made that knockdown what it was. If you look at the point of contact, his feet are so close together. Yeah. Yeah. That he can't absorb the impact. Which is odd because usually he's good at anticipating those shots and riding them or, you know, because I felt like that was part of the reason in the 12th why he wasn't out cold because to some extent he rode, even though, don't get me wrong, Wilder did take him, take him to task with the, the especially the second left hand. He didn't, I can only assume that it's because he tried to ride the punch that he well, didn't get knocked out. Well, it was it was it was it was a fury defensive pattern, wasn't it? Where pull your head back out of the way, change your head levels, or bring your head down, and progressively through the fight, Wilder was sussing it out. I don't think it was conscious; it was subconscious because those right hands were getting closer and closer and closer. And then in the twelfth, I think there's a combination of Fury being tired and Wilder, whether it's subconscious or that's the man he is, just realizing it's all or nothing. And it just all hooked up in that way. That You know when Lewis Hamilton would be driving shit and he's fifth on the grid and that last lap, he just hooks it up. And it's like the car's just super glued to the track. And it was almost like that. That right hand just, I think 
just almost by the ear, just you know, disorientated. Yeah. Then the left hook to follow up. Yeah, golden rule in life: always follow up with a punch. You don't know what it's going to give you. Just wiped him out. I think I'd like to speculate that if Fury had been set a bit wider, especially at the base, would he have been able to absorb it better? Would he have just stumbled and taken a knee? This is Perhaps. the eighth round knockout. No, no, the twelfth. Okay. Um, the one that happened in the ninth. I oh, was in ninth round. Sorry. I, you know, I think you just have to accept Wilder has unearthly power. Like, because none of those punches were clean shots. It wasn't, it wasn't like a right hand, like the one that Froch threw at Groves. It wasn't like that, where you go, wow, look at the mechanics of that. Look at the efficiency. You're not standing up to that. This was just a, a swing that caught Fury somewhere. <laughs> and, but it's the thing we've always talked about. It doesn't matter where Wilder hits you. Once he touches you, it's like an off switch. And it, it was it was it was going to come eventually, but look, <sighs> something we touched something we touched on um, just earlier, you and I was that. Okay, so I I asked you who you think gains the most out of that fight, um, and my my opinion before asking you that was that given that Fury hasn't had a quote unquote testing fight up to this point since his comeback. I thought to myself, if there's any ring rust left on him, that is now comprehensively shaken off. And he very much knows what to expect from Wilder and could... And so I, uh, that in combination with the fact that I don't see what else Wilder can do, because he, he, he is, albeit a very good one, you know, a swinging merchant with, you know... I, I, that sounds... That sounds like I'm degrading him, but what I mean is that is what he relies on. What else can Wilder do? Come in heavier and risk punching himself out earlier? Right, but I feel like Fury might be able to go, right, I know what to expect this time, and for the rematch, he might have the upper hand. But just to go back to when I asked you, your initial thought before I even said what my feelings were was Wilder gets most out of this. Mm. So... So one of my beliefs in life is those that don't learn the histories, the lessons of history are doomed, doomed to repeat them. Um, I, don't know, I can't remember who said that originally, but I think it's one of the smartest things that anyone can say. If you go back to 1970 when Muhammad Ali came back and he fought Jerry Quarry, don't ask me when, but he fought him in 1970 and that fight was stopped on a cut. But it's a win for Ali. He fights Oscar Bonavera. Did I say it right? Don't know. And that goes late. So I think that's a 15-round stoppage, right? These are two fights against people who... Jerry Quarry had been smashed to pieces by Frazier. Bonavera, durable and stuff, but not really a test. But it's hubris. So Ali had that hubris to think, I only need two warm-up fights, I'll fight Joe Frazier and beat him. Fights Joe Frazier, gets put down in the 15th, loses, I think it was a unanimous decision in 1971 doesn't fight for the world title again until 1974 against George Foreman. Um, I think his preceding fight might have been Joe Frazier, and that was a win in 1973, at a guess, stinkfest of a fight. But it's that hubris that these supremely talented guys have, that their talent can get them out of all kinds of trouble. Fury fell into the same trap. And I think what Fury will say on reflection is going from fighting Safari, Safari, whatever his name was, to <laughs> Pianetta, 
isn't psychological preparation for the big fight. Now, technically, you might be able to outbox whoever they put in front of you. But that three months of leaving your family, being in Big Bear, doing the Joe Rogan show, doing the show with Brendan Schwab, doing this, doing that, having to hype the fight because in your own words, no one knows who Deontay Wilder is. Did that introduce a load that Fury probably hadn't factored in? Much like it did for Ali, where, remember that, like the ali Frazier fight was, what didn't they just call it the fight of the century? And just imagine what that means. And this was almost like our version of that. Two undefeated heavyweights going at it for the WBC belt. It gets no better than that. In terms of promotion, just quickly, there's a lot more load that fell on Fury's shoulders. You look at the promotion of it, the the charisma is solely in Fury's hands here. Like for, for, from, well, 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 does you know? No, well, no, I don't mean. All right, okay, but I mean on Fury's side of the camp. Yeah, Fury's they, they drove so, it a lot. Yeah, so it's it's Fury from Fury's side of things. He has to drive everything, whereas you know it gets it gets a lot of stick and none more so on the, than on this podcast. But were Eddie Hearn to be promoting it, you'd expect to have seen probably a lot more than, of Hearn than perhaps Fury, or at the very least, an equal measure true. of both. So yeah, I yeah. feel like you only. I, actually, you know what? They interviewed Frank Warren at the side of the ring at the end. And I actually like hearing from Frank Warren. I don't really necessarily agree with everything he does, but I actually enjoy hearing what he has to say. He doesn't utilise that enough for me, but, you know, that's just yeah. a, that's a digression. So, so I think, you know, the lesson you took from the Ali fight was he needed more time in the ring. He needed more time being the main man again, being the centre of attention before he'd fought Frazier. And I think that might have been a different outcome. Maybe he needed a couple more of those tough fights so he could get used to dealing with threats early. And perhaps that was the same thing for Tyson Fury as well. He, maybe he needed someone, maybe not uh, maybe not a Wilder, but someone of that ilk. I'm trying to think off the top of my head who you'd call out. Oh, who's, who's big and nasty and can cause trouble? Ha, Dillian White. Had Fury fought a guy like Dillian White? A, right. a fight that he could win, you know, all that publicity, all that pressure, all that interest, all that attention. And then straight after that, you fight Wilder. I think psychologically you're in a different place and you're there like, you're not talking about redemption and comebacks and so forth anymore. You're just talking about winning a belt. So maybe in the rematch, the the dialogue moves away from the comeback to the legacy. So you think he put maybe too much pressure on himself? Just speculating. I don't know for certain, but I'd think that because the word coming out of the camp for the last six months has been Fury is ready for Joshua, ready for Wilder now. And I believe that from a boxing perspective, but at that level, it's not just about the boxing. It's how much of the ancillary activity is automatic for you, is part of your autonomic nervous system. How much of it, how much of it when you're doing these interviews, how much is that taking out of you? Hopefully not too much. So, you know, Tyson's had to, you think, he's had to engage in this process a lot more emotionally than Wilder has because we're talking about redemption, we're talking about the past. Okay, okay. So moving forward then, after, as, as I say, I asked you who gets most out of it, What? why has Wilder got most out, Got and I'm, I'm, I mean this in reference to moving forward to a potential rematch, why has Wilder take? What has he taken out, and why has he taken the most out of it? He now knows he can knock Fury out whenever he wants to. 
So now you're there in your camp and you're there. You'll go back through the tape and you'll go, when is Fury most vulnerable? What's he vulnerable to? Can I throw a jab to the body, then faint that same jab to the body and boom the right hand over? What if I throw the right hand dead straight down the middle? What effect will that have? What if I throw it straight, come round the side? He can now work out a plan to detonate on Fury because he knows Fury can't take the power. One thing I wanted to ask you actually was Fury has this habit of doing with his touching with his, his forehead. Left hand. Yeah, touching his forehand. And I felt like towards the end. Wilder was trying to time his jab with that as he as he saw the hand coming up almost like that hand would obscure Fury's vision to see that jab late it felt to me like he was trying to time it so that he could exploit that I don't know what it is some sort of nervous twitch or so, so, so everyone has their little mnemonics in boxing that's what I call them so I'll teach people you throw a one two yeah touch your forehead with your left hand in case that right hand comes back so you throw you throw a left you throw a right you touch your forehead with your left again you shut down the avenue for the counter right hand so is it an anticipation thing from fury or it just could just be yeah it could be anything it would just be getting comfort resetting it would, everyone has that small tick of just okay i'm i'm calm now touch start again move 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 touch start again reset it, that's what it could be yeah. And, and but the thing is, as long as you make it consistent, because I think like the human brain's programmed to detect patterns, even before we're aware of it, we just detect yeah. it. And Wilder might have just been going off that. Okay. Because remember, Wilder's he's been in the wars. Like people want to discount that Ortiz win, but the, you learn of fights like that. Yeah, it's difficult. If you were the kind of guy, do you remember? Do you remember Snatch with um, Brad Pitt's character? who just like basically gets beaten up for the entire fight and then lands that big one butt puncher. If that was the boxer you were and you were able to just knock people out, you you know, you're, God sits you down before you're born and goes, you're going to be the greatest boxer in the history of the world. However, you're only going to have one punch per fight that's going to be able to just knock someone out. You're going to get, you know, rope-a-doped for the rest of your... Would that person eventually, even if you, you know, um, unify the division, would they be... Would they be ostracized from you know the hall of fame kind of thing just for that would fans no. would, would fans be you know it's uh, not get behind them for that and much as frankly i am a fury fan but take away from that i don't actually dislike wild i i you know were either of them to win i want the person to win to fight joshua to be a credible opponent that causes joshua trouble that's what i want you know, that's ultimately what I want. It would be my preference for it to be Fury, but I would rather it... I don't want the worst man to win and then not be able to fu cause AJ problems. Do you see so, what I mean? I always to say, when people get happy and excited about, oh, Joshua would beat all of these guys, just go back and watch that Klitschko fight. Watch round five, watch round six, watch round 10. And just look at how Joshua's just out on his feet. And all that saved him was that, the man in front of him was 41 years old, was a father, had a shitload of money in the bank and all, and you know, he just uh, didn't have that hunger. Is now, this not a case of minuscule percentages at the top of a sport though? I mean, you're, you're, you're isolating specific rounds, you th but you could also argue, yeah, but he got through it and he got through it because, you know, he's, he was on the night, he was, Two percent better than Klitschko. Could you? Can no. you not make that argument? Nah, he got through it for the very reason we've just been talking about Fury. 
Vlad hadn't had that big fight exposure. All those things that come with it were more draining on him than he thought. And he was tired. But you can't you can't be hurt against Wilder. As, as we saw on Saturday, you cannot be hurt against Wilder and hope to nurse yourself through the rest of the fight. You're going to have to come out swinging. And when Joshua comes out swinging, that's when he's most vulnerable. So that's why I think Wilder's the winner in all of this. Because what Wilder showed was as long as he stood in that fight, he can knock you out at any point. Even when you think you're defensively safe, like Fury did when he got put down, he's probably, he probably can't believe he got put down. Because he didn't do that much wrong, apart from having his feet close together. He didn't do that much wrong. So Wilder carries that power for the whole fight, number one. Number two, his stamina's not that bad. Okay? <clears throat> he did the 12 rounds. So whatever the calculus was for how much Wilder was worth for a UK fight a year ago, it's gone up by anywhere between 50 and 100% now. Yeah. You, you're going to have to pay Wilder that 50-50, that 55-45 split now because he's up there. Remember, oh, no one knows who Wilder is. They bloody do now. Yeah. And the irony of it being how much have they lost now in as the price has gone up for Wilder that they would have been able to... You know, if, if if they've lost, say, 10%, could they have surrendered 5% earlier in the year and basically gained 5% on, you know what I mean? So yeah. how much have they actually lost by trying to A get lot, more? Because that's his first pay-per-view fight. That's the first time Wilder's had to do all of that build-up. Do we know if it's been a success yet? Uh, commercially, we don't know. So, but, but, but I think the important thing to take from that is Wilder now knows what to expect and he look, he strikes me as being that guy that's diligent and he won't make the mistakes next time that he made this time. So all those advantages AJ would have had of I've done the big fight, the big stage and all of that, all of this starts to diminish and it becomes two men in the ring swinging at each other, which must be AJ's worst nightmare. But you know, because no, when I when I look at Wilder and I don't know if you got to hear his post-fight press conference. He just sounds like the guy that should be world champion. He just sounds like it. It's not overly bombastic. He will just come in and matter of fact, this is what I think, this is what I see. But it's that sort of way where you could listen to him talk for ages. You know, if Michael Parkinson was, was still doing a TV show, you'd want to hear Wilder on there. Before you had AJ, before you had Fury, I'd want Wilder on there. Because he has something to say and the way that he says it and all of these things I like. And what we the guy can fight. Think about the mental strength it takes to be in there with a guy that you can barely hit with a bag of sand and you're going through just going, I'm going to catch him eventually. I'm going to catch him eventually. I'm going to catch him eventually. And not once did his will waver. That's a scary man. All the stuff that people said Wilder's deficient in, hell no. While people now look at Wilder and go, I think he beats Joshua, just like they now think Fury beats Joshua. Um, okay, some questions. Cool. Uh, Riku Heikler asks, does Ben Davidson deserve more credit based on last night's performance and Tyson's comeback? Yes. Got, we've actually got another question, actually. That I've, well, I'll let, let you answer, let's touch but. on Ben's role. So, number one, what I liked was Ben was the man in the corner. So, only one person can step into the ring between rounds and the person who steps in normally denotes 
the head trainer unless there's a cut and you need to be in there to do something. Sometimes someone like a Virgil Hunter would just be on the sidelines. But I'm glad it wasn't Freddie Roach in there. I'm glad it wasn't Ricky Hatton in there because people underestimate the work Ben Davidson's done. If you want a nice example of it, look, I can't remember what round it was. And he just said to Tyson, look, Deontay's doing that hopping thing. When he does that hopping thing, he's thinking. That's the time to jump on him because that's when he's trying to figure out what's going on. When he's hopping in and out like that, just jump on him at that point. And it's those things that trainers should be picking up on immediately. But it's a sign that someone's done his research. We've talked about this before. Ben Davidson's not a guy that had 300 amateur bouts, coached 77 ABA champions or anything. He's a guy that started off with like Tom Little, did a bit of work with Billy Joe Saunders, and now he's got Tyson Fury. Now, I don't think he could do it all on his own, but if you look how smart he's been, MTK have been, Tyson Fury's been, they've surrounded him with people who know the sport. So when people were worried about John Fury not being there, they went and got Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach, you know, in the fighters meeting, you got Freddie Roach there. I mean, it's all signs of a good preparation. In the same way as going to Big Bear was sign of a good preparation. And actually, I'd speculate that that time in Big Bear, that increased red blood cell count, the increased stamina that being in Big Bear gave him, might have been the reason he got up. I'm just speculating, but maybe that was the reason. Um, a, a vast majority of the questions and points that have come in concern not just Fury and Wilder, but also, fairly predictably, AJ. Uh, Neil Savage Wilder versus Fury was a draw, question mark. Um, AJ was meant to fight the winner. Did Eddie pay the judges so AJ gets white in April? <laughs> that's, I'm assuming that's a well, tongue-in-cheek question. Well, so what's going to be interesting is, has Eddie Hearn phoned Shelley Finkel yet? Because remember what he said, after that fight, we'll be on the phone to Shelley Finkel and we're going to make them an offer. So we're kind of deep into Sunday now. Has Eddie Hearn been on the phone? I suspect we all know the answer to that. Because they don't want that fight. They've got the Pulev mandatory at some point in 2019. They've got Wembley booked on April or something. And there's that matter of what do you take? Do you take a Fury Wilder rematch in the UK? Old Trafford maybe. You imagine it would fill most of Old Trafford now. I think people want to see justice and redemption. So I think that's a, that's a slam dunk. I think Wilder will be up for that. I think commercially that makes a lot of sense. And then you, you've got to balance that against, do you want to be fighting Joshua on terms that aren't favourable to you? You might make more money fighting Fury in a rematch. So now Hearn, instead of going, we're the only show in town, it's like, well, Wilder, you've got two options. Fury, you've got two options. Both are lucrative. Which do you go for? If I'm Wilder, I, I swerve Joshua and I go, look, let Fury fight Joshua next. If that April date's open for Fury, let Fury fight Joshua, beat Joshua. Let's do the rematch for all the belts. Why? Because we now know that Fury versus Wilder is a fight that can be made. Um, since last night's fight was so good and with the inevitable rematch on the horizon, what impact will it have on trying to sell the AJ brand and his shows to the public? Um, I don't foresee people being having less appetite for an AJ bout just because well, it's just because you're going to have a, a wild, unless you actually have to 
choose because they're on the same date. Well, no, let, let's. Why so, would that affect your appetite? So let's look at what we know. This is Riku Heitler's question again, by the way. Shout out to Riku. Good to see him yesterday. What what Hearn can't do is he can't shit on Wilder and he can't shit on Fury. Do you remember the narrative before this? Eddie Hearn on Wilder. No one knows who he is. You know, AJ doesn't need him. Wilder, we, you know, we, we've got other options. That was the narrative before. The narrative on Fury was he just stinks the house out. No one really wants to watch him. He's not very exciting, is he? Both have been exposed now. None of those are true. So if you're really a fan and you want AJ to be this all-time great, why are you not asking Hearn to make these fights? Any one of those two, yeah? Because deep down people know AJ doesn't win those fights. This is as simple as that. Now, See, I'm not even, I'm not even, I think deep down inside, I'm not really bothered who comes out victorious out in a, in a sort of a round robin between AJ Fury and Wilder. Just as long as they fight, yes. <laughs> we find out who's the best. I mean, I'm probably a little bit more down on AJ, and as I've openly admitted, I'm more of a fan of Fury. But if Fury gets beaten fair and square by both of those or one of those fighters, and then that fighter goes on to beat or lose fair and square to the other one, then my hat comes off, and I am a happy boxing fan that yeah. they have proven themselves the, the, a worthy champion, not fighting Dillian White 15 times and then saying you're the best heavyweight in the world. Well, look, it's up to you boxing fans right now to, to determine what's important in boxing. Are you still going to buy into this cult of personality and whatever Eddie Hearn says is correct? Or are you now going to say... Let's roll it back a step. Now... Go back 12 months, Andy, when we were doing this podcast, before we did our first ever live show and all that sort of stuff and all the other highlights of the last 12 months. If, yeah. if, if I had told you 12 months ago, do you know what? Tyson Fury is going to fight Deontay Wilder for the WBC title. You'd just been like, I can't see it, mate, right? I can't see it. He's got to shift the weight. He's got to get sharp. He'll need three or four fights to get sharp before he can face Wilder. It can't happen in 2018. But it happened in 2018. So... What we now know is when, when two people want to fight and there's an appetite to make a fight, it can happen quickly. So now let's see if Matchroom have the appetite to make this fight quickly. Because if, if, if we're to believe the, the purse splits, it was 4 million, 3 million, right? Feels about right for two giants of a sport fighting each other. One's a champion, so he's going to get a bigger slice of that pie. I think that was a reasonable split. Why can't Hearn offer that split and say, look, there you go. This was the split for your fight with Fury. Here's the split we're offering you. Broadly similar. I don't think there'll be any obstacles to making that fight happen. But there'll be a bullshit split again. And I hope Shelley Finkel exposes the offer like he did last time. Yeah. Because Hearn needs to be exposed for these lies. Because there's another thing that I think changes the dynamic of the negotiations now. Andy, put yourself in the position of the guy that runs DAZN in the U.S., who's had to sit there and watch Fury and Wilder fight, the whole boxing world fixated on the Staples Center in LA and on Showtime and on BT Sport. Zero traffic going to DAZN. So he's there going, they're the fights that should be on DAZN. We're never going to grow our subscriber base if they're happening on the very platform we're trying to put out of business. So now someone's going to put pressure on Hearn to say, 
Why can't you make those type of fights happen? And don't try and sell us with AJ versus Dillian because in America, no one cares. Yeah. I mean, you say they don't know who Wilder is. Who knows who Dillian is in America? Well, the, the, the curious thing from the perspective of Hearn is, I think potentially he was the biggest loser from last night at the fact that a draw means there's a much anticipated rematch on the horizon which interferes with any potential Hearn okay right yeah and a rubber match once the first is a draw you got to have the second and once you have the second if it's close again you got to have the third right so December rematch in the summer maybe one in America at the end of the year Vegas now right Mm. for that decider depending on what happens in the middle fight although having said that you know, if it go, does go to a rematch and I, I don't know, but I'd assume that if it's the first fight has been a draw from a contractual perspective, the Wilder team might look at that and go, okay, that's not happened in from a contractual perspective. That hasn't happened. We're going to the next fight. We're also, we're, we're going to again have a rematch clause. If that's the case, and I can see what you're saying there, but it seems to me that if Fury did win that second fight, Frankly, if Fury or Wilder wins, I can see Hearn be coming in and going, that this is my chance. This is my chance to make an offer. Well, see what I mean? Yes, because we've discussed this before, haven't we? Like when the Fury fight was announced, we said theoretically, this is AJ frozen out of big fights for the next year and a half. Well, yeah, I get, I'm, let's put it this way. If there is a contractual opening that allows Hearn to make an offer after the second fight, regardless of the winner and they turn it down for a third Fury-Wilder fight, I don't think there'll be as much appetite. If, if Hearn says, well, I offered it to them, you see what I mean? People no, would rather no, see the winner no, fight no. AJ than a third no. fight, surely. Well, I don't know. I think I would. Well, you, you say that, right? But based on what? Like, these guys are fighting each other. Who's AJ fighting? There's, there's no one for AJ to fight. Once Fury and Wilder are tied up, there's no one for AJ to fight. Who do you want to see him fight who's not AJ or Wilder? Uh, you mean Fury or Wilder? Sorry, yeah, Fury yeah. Wilder. And there's no, there's no. Well, there isn't. There isn't really. But mm-hmm. I, what I'm suggesting is that I think her knows that. And were there to be a rematch, which seems more likely than either of them fighting AJ in the in the near future, I feel like Hearn would know this is my time. Like the pressure has finally got to him. I I can't see AJ uh, Hearn okay. sitting off AJ for much longer. Can you? Yes, because here's the problem. Remember, Hearn in an interview said AJ only fights on the zone. I don't remember that, but yeah, so AJ only fights on the zone. Wilder contractually tied up with Showtime. That's not going to shift because Showtime, I mean, and Heyman have a good relationship. Fury's tied up with BT, and it would seem that's you know pretty locked in. So Sky frozen out there. So how is Hearn going to make this deal happen? Because if he makes it on zone, he's now going to pay a fuckload of money to Team Wilder or Team Fury. In the same way that if it happened on Showtime, you have to pay Sky Sports or zone a shitload of money for AJ. So that's what complicates it. Remember, it's about ease of doing business. You can make the rematch of Fury. The numbers make sense. The relationship's already there. Fury, not Fury, Frank Warren, Shelley Finkel have worked together. They worked together on the Tyson thing which 
if you ever want to know that story, go back to one of the old podcasts about <laughs> take his pants off and we'll fuck him in the ass. Yeah, I remember you telling that <laughs> So, so while the Fury is an easy fight to make for the rematch, it's an easy fight to make for the trilogy. People love trilogies. That that's just the reality of boxing. People love trilogies, even if the last one's shit. It's just the trilogy. So now Hearn, Hearn's got to make a serious offer to somebody. And what, just a quick one. We shouldn't buy this thing of, yeah, AJ's going to fight Dillian. Then he's got to do his mandatory against Pulev. Do you know what I mean? This is all bullshit. When you're saying that he's the biggest star in boxing, the most powerful man in boxing, with the most powerful brand in boxing, mandatories are insignificant. You know what I mean? Like you're already there putting money into Mendoza's pocket so he does whatever you want him to do. You're trying to take over the WBO. Do you know what I mean? So just make the fights happen. Um, James Sunderland asked, and we have kind of already touched on this, but uh, as it was a draw, couldn't AJ now fight either of them at Wembley? I can't see for one minute Wilder's team wanting a rematch after that. You obviously feel differently after that, don't you? That, um, that if anything, Wilder's team... They can fill a stadium themselves now. They've done that. Like... They took the short money to make the long money. The long money is do it in Britain, do it at Old Trafford, do it at the Millennium Stadium, uh, the Principality, sorry. Do it at the Emirates. Do it wherever in the UK. Remember, we're for, we know when we're seeing greats in this country. And whether you're an AJ fan or an AJ hater, a Wilder fan or a Wilder hater, if Wilder's in this country to fight, we're going out to watch this because we don't get that very often. Yeah. The top guys at their peak coming here. So it's lucrative for them to to rematch over here. I mean, Frank Warren didn't mention that, uh, did mention that, sorry, on the side of the ring, said about stadium fight in the UK. I think he was reluctant to go into details about it, but he said this sets up a stadium fight in the UK. In the summer. In the summer. Let these guys recover. Let Fury get some family time. Hopefully, psychologically, he's not too damaged by this and that he can stay disciplined and focused. Well, if anything, that was... So to jump on you yet again, but that, for me, was the biggest potential bonus of this draw last night, was that were Fury to have won and he went off the rails again, I think my heart would have sank. And, it, you know, the collective boxing world, I would like to have thought, would be like... Well, I think it, the the reactions would have been on a spectrum, but they would have ranged from, oh, for God's sake, to, you know, oh dear. Um, I, yeah, so if anything, f from that perspective, I mean, Fury has, you know, going back to a, a, one of my previous points, he's shaken off any ring rust that was already, that was still there. Um, he he knows what the fight is about now and what he, what he has to do were he to fight uh, Wilder again, I'd like to think. But because it was a draw, he has to, he hasn't climbed, it's almost like he got to a false peak and he has to stay disciplined, refocus and get to the other, and get to the next point yeah. of on that mountain. So I'd like to think that this means that he has that little kernel inside. Look, Frankly, if he's going to go off the rails after a win, then that's going to eventually happen or, you know, or after a win or a loss anyway. Let's hope that that isn't the case. But it seems to me that, if anything, that might be one of the biggest wins from the last 24 hours that Fury doesn't go off the rails because he's got nothing to go off the rails. He can't suggest, like he did against Klitschko, that he felt like 
there was nothing left to live for because he'd com- you'd completed his mission. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I like, you know, maybe it's fanciful thinking, maybe I'm overthinking it, but that's what I feel like might be the biggest win from this. I hope so. Look, I, I, I just want to see those two improve after yesterday and bring a higher level of combat to the rematch. But I am, I, I, for me, look, I think we all suspected it would be a draw or be something like that as it sets up the rematch. But I think overall, that Fury Wilder thing is a massive success. From Eddie Hearn saying, I don't see it happening. Well, it happened. Yeah. From 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 well, the actually, people yeah. from the people I know who are in the arena, and shouts out to my friend Matthew Thompson because I know he was there and he got tickets. Um, I think it was like because he he lost his father. His father's a boxing coach who passed away, and so always, man, my fellow soldier in the struggle, what condolences to them. But he got to go out to LA to to sample that, and I mean, hopefully he enjoyed it. I was talking to guys who were out there as well. The arena looked packed. There weren't many giveaways apart from, you know, to the first responders in California who were dealing with the fires. So it looks like it's done its 18,000, which is the capacity of the O2 arena. So Because there was question marks around that two or three weeks beforehand. It was full. The shit looked like the 80s. Like, you know, when you watch those fights from the 80s and you're like, are these guys all sat down or stood up? You don't know because it's that packed. It was like that. So I'm I'm happy that it was a success. I hope the pay-per-view numbers are respectable. I hope that everyone made a shitload of money off of this because we should applaud when the top guys fight each other and don't drag it out. It just happens. Bang. Because go back to that. Look at the narrative. The AJ thing wrangled. That rumbled from what? March earlier this year? All the way through the summer. Fury has his fight and goes, I'll fight Wilder now. Yeah. Why can't AJ do that? Why can't Anthony Joshua? Why can't... Femitola, whatever. Why can't he just go? I want to fight Wilder. I want to fight him in April. Eddie, pay him whatever he wants for this fight. Because um, if you really want all of the belts, that's the noise you'll be making. On this, Senor Tasty asks, "Well, I hope that you discuss how Hearn got so many things wrong on so many levels for the Fury Wilder fight." Um. As a friend of the show, could you please get Eddie to state that I will definitely not be winning the lottery this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's go back to a year ago. Do you remember when Fury was in Monaco with Hearn? Uh, yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. And he was just out there yeah. and he, he was looking... And we were talking about potentially... Signing and yeah. he looked massive. And even then Hearn was like, oh, I don't know if he's going to shift the weight. He looks very big. How long will it take him to shift the weight? And Hearn was being negative. Like what he always talks down the value of assets, not realizing he's going to have to deal with them. So, so Fury does it, drops the weight. And then he has his first fight back. Yeah, he didn't look good, did he? Looked like he was shot. Didn't look like he had anything. That's, that Fury there couldn't give AJ trouble. Then he fights Pianetta. Oh, he's Pianetta. Uh, then is, he's fighting Wilder. And Hearn's like, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it, it might happen. not happen. It won't happen. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, it's going to happen. Well, Wilder knocks him out. Fury's yeah. boring. Yeah, no one wants to watch. All of this, he's done. But he's going to have to atone for his sins. So we've got Hearn constantly talking the fight down constantly questioning whether it's even going to happen 
but also constantly questioning the value of not only Fury, but also Wilder's contribution you, to the fight. Do you remember what he said? He said, I wanted Tyson Fury to come back against Tony Bellew, then fight Dillian White, then fight AJ. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Fury didn't want that. Fury wanted three or four knockover jobs. And then, so, so history has shown that actually <laughs> Fury's worked in a way that doesn't make sense to Hearn because Fury's had three fights in less than six months and one of those is Deontay fucking Wilder. Yeah. And Fury, the thing is, it sounds like Fury wants to fight. Fury wants to fight and get it over and done with. Not, he's sitting in a meeting with Eddie, Eddie Hearn and Eddie Hearn's gone, right, basically, we're just going to, we're going to marinate you for years and years on end. And then finally, and, and Fury's gone, no, this is what, this is what I want to do. Yeah. just And it's not worked on Eddie Hearn's terms, hence why he didn't sign with him. Yeah. So now, now, now Hearn's got egg on his face because that's another valuable asset that he doesn't have control over. And there's only so long you can keep telling us that AJ is this, AJ is that. He's running out of guys to fight. Like, it was all right when he was chasing the belts. But now let's see all these guys like Scott Law and so forth and whoever these, these fans are. Give me a reason why we should watch an AJ pay-per-view that doesn't involve Fury or Wilder. What does it prove? What does it add to the heavyweight picture? Nothing. AJ, we said it in this podcast. Yeah. AJ ran the risk of being frozen out of everything meaningful yeah, in the heavyweight division. Even if you try and... Even if you try and justify the white fight, all you're doing is, by AJ fighting white, all he's doing is basically swatting someone away from the top table of boxing. That's all he's doing. Because if AJ lost to white, you could feasibly argue that AJ is still at the top table. He's still a massive asset. No, you can't. He's not that good. People he, would still want to watch him, though. If he lost to Dillian White, it's, it's that, I call it the Tyson premium. The Mike Tyson before Buster Douglas and after Buster Douglas were vastly different commercial propositions. Yeah. When he got knocked out by Buster Douglas, it was like, ah, he wasn't all that anyway. Okay, all right. So maybe I should rephrase in the sense that if he lost to White and it was, it was, you were able to argue that he shouldn't have lost. I still feel that the, the point I'm trying to make is AJ, by fighting white, all he's doing is keeping someone away from the top table instead of dealing with those others at the top table. Agreed. No, Fury, no, versus, uh, Fury and Wilder. Um, so whilst outside of that triumvirate at the top, white may be one of the best going in order to step up. There's a big gap between those. Yeah, there's a big gap between those three. It's like, yeah. it's like City, Liverpool and Chelsea right now. They're just over there somewhere. Yeah. And then there's everyone else. And that's how it feels in the heavyweights at the moment. Okay, so um, apologies to Boxing Fan because we've kind of trampled all over his question already. Um, uh, UK Boxing Fan 6. After the spectacle that was Fury Wilder last night, how seriously depleted is AJ's value right now? For me, he and Hearn have come out of this situation looking like the losers with Wilder and Fury rightfully claiming the boxing headlines. So not strictly speaking a question, but I suppose depleted. How depleted is AJ's value right now? We have touched on that. Don't buy the pay-per-view in April. Don't buy the overpriced tickets in April. Don't fuck around with StubHub in April. Sit at home and stream whoever Joshua fights in April. <laughs> stream it. And the reason I say stream it is if you're not going to let Matchroom know who you want AJ to fight next, don't complain when he fights these people. 
That's all I can say. And what I'm I would not- say is if Fury fights Wilder between now and April, which is, has potential, right? Could fight. Do you, do you not think? No. Do you think it's unlikely? Mm. All right. Irrespective of timings, it doesn't matter anyway. It's, it's not part of my point. Either try to get there or pay for the pay-per-view. I mean, I paid for the pay-per-view last night. Yeah. and Because I wanted the same reason I paid for Huey Fury versus Joseph Parker on YouTube. Like, people laughed at me at the time. but well, I I'm did still it. laughing now. I'm not <laughs> <gonna lie. laughs> but I did it because it's the only way that I can actively put a vote forward to say, this is what I um, encourage. Yes. Uh, it's 20 quid to me is what I'd not even think about spending on a pub. You couldn't even get into a Goodwin show for 20 quid. <laughs> right. But Perspective. <laughs> besides the point for me that I'm making, uh, but... Apologies, you know, ring talk. R- realistically, I-, I want to be able... I want to encourage that spectacle. So it seems... It would have seemed silly for me to, to stream it when, you know... I, I probably could have streamed it, but I, I didn't want to. I wanted to encourage it. So, um, yeah, that being said. Yeah, look, this is boxing's Me Too moment. If you're tired of getting fucked by these sleazy promoters, tired of being fingered by these disgustingly nasty <laughs> shysters, God. this is your Me Too moment as a boxing fan <laughs> to tell people this is unacceptable in boxing. Just getting shafted all the time without your, you know what I mean? It's not even your consent, without your knowledge. feels like you've been real hypnoled all the time and all of a sudden you're there watching this stuff on pay-per-view. Make a stand. Do not participate in whatever happens April 13th. Don't. Um, Matthew Skelton asks, two questions of the pod last night's performance. What shine does it take off a potential fight for Wilder Joshua? Um, again, with this is many, a lot of stuff we've already gone over. And two, is Frank Warren's chance to get the rematch on and put it in a stadium fight? Um, yeah, it's like, is this is Frank Warren coming back, essentially, yeah. is what he's saying. Um, I'd like to see Frank yeah. back. I think Frank does the big fights. For a boxing fan, he does them the right way. For casuals, not so sure. Maybe he'll need someone to to be the lightning conductor for that. Do you get Ricky Hatton to make a load of noise because people will come out to see Ricky? Don't know. But there, there, there are plans, and I hope they're creative with it. Um, I know guys like Dev, who's over at Box Nation or BT Sport, never know which one it is. I know he listens. So, you know, I always reiterate, I quite like Frank. I like the fact that he's a survivor. But here's a real opportunity for BT Sport to make an impact. Because you remember when Martin Theobald was like, I don't know what BT Sport are doing with boxing. This is a chance for BT Sport to go, we're going to show you what we're doing with boxing if there's a rematch. We will show you how yeah. BT Sport do boxing. And it's a chance you don't want to blow because these things don't come around again. Yeah, they clearly there's an appetite, not just within the public, but within boxing circles to break that sky dominance, that break that matchroom and sky dominance over the sport. You can you can see it in all of the alternative um, alternatives hanging around trying to do their bit. It seems to me that it may work if they started to come together around something like Fury seems to be open to that kind of... Coverage has been brilliant. I think BT Sport have done well on this. All the behind the scenes stuff, all the build up stuff. You know, I don't know how Richie Woodall's getting all these freebies. So Jesus Christ, how is he still involved? 
But but overall, I think BET have stepped up a level. And this is the sort of fight that seems to have brought the best out to them. The budget has seemed to make sense. I'm I'm optimistic about what they can do. Now, can you do the same with some of the lesser fighters in the Warren stable? I'm not so sure. I think it's kind of confined to Fury, Frampton, and maybe Billy Joe Saunders at a push. But I can't see them messing with him for much longer. So we'll see. I, I've been impressed with the build-up. Um, I think now that the fight's done, we can sort of gloss over some of the stuff that was said. I, you know, I do think, in summary, people need to really re-examine why they dislike Wilder, how much of it is down to Wilder the person, and how much of it is actually just inherent fear that this is a guy that could destroy Joshua. All told, how much did you enjoy that fight? on a scale of one to 10. That's a 10. That's a 10 because that's a fight that will be in the history books. That's a fight your kids will ask you about and you'll be able to tell them about that fight. Who comes out looking better out of the two of them? Or do you think they both come out of equal credit? I think they both elevated themselves. I just think they're both legitimate boxing stars now, not just stars in the hardcore, the, the Twitterati or the forums. They're both people who can now walk around in their respective countries and be known as people in their own right, as Deontay Wilder, as Tyson Fury. You know, and they, they can cross over into each other's countries and be known as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, yeah, let's move on. There's not a, a, a massive amount more to cover. I think we've, I think we've given due airtime yeah. to that fight. I mean, and the reason we haven't touched on the undercard is that well, I didn't, I didn't watch it. Yeah. No, I'm not going to lie. Didn't watch it. No, no one's waking up at 5am to watch Isaac Lowe. Sorry. But I don't even know who of, Isaac no, Lowe is. So. One of the funniest things though, shouts out to Porky Russ for this. He sends me a text message at God knows what time. And he goes, Terry, do you realize Isaac Lowe's on three and a half grand for this fight? And he's like, the guy's been in camp for 13 weeks to earn three and a half grand. And you see, this is, this is what makes Russ brilliant. So Russ is like, if he had worked for minimum wage for 13 weeks, he'd have got 3,760 quid. And he just finishes off with, what kind of mug agrees to this? Well, <laughs> okay, but just to play devil's advocate here, someone who enjoys boxing. <laughs> but that is insane, isn't it? You know when people assume boxers make money, you're yeah. like, these guys are earning below minimum wage. I must admit, it was a shock to me when I first started chatting to, well, when we started first chatting about boxers' purses and becoming enlightened to that, that just how little people get paid and just how much it seems to me a combination of love for the sport, but also feel like year on year, a lot of boxers are just gambling, hoping for that big. We're going to touch on that. We're, we're going to go on to the Goodwin show. We're going to touch on that. Don't worry. Every, <laughs> everything's getting touched on today because this is, there's no propaganda on this today. There's no ring talk light on this today. Where everything's coming out today. Because uh, he can't give me a lift to the station, so I'm okay. I can I can say what I want to say. He's <laughs> <laughs> leaving you stranded because you've slagged it off. <laughs> I walk back. I want to give a brief shout out to my mate Sam, who's over in the states at the moment. Um, he was on text with uh, me last night, uh, chatting through the fight. Um, yeah, just just an indulgent shout out to my mate over in the over there. I got a text through from him. You watching the fight? As I sort of come to getting out of my pit last uh, 
well, I was going to say last thing at night, but early hours in the morning, stumble down the stairs, get it on. From a personal perspective, as I said at the very top, I love watching Fury fight. I really enjoyed the Klitschko fight. I know many people thought it was boring, but and lots of people say that he's boring. And I know that when Eddie Hearn spoke in several interviews and in the build-up to this fight, how boring he thought Fury was. And that's entire, everyone's entirely you know, um, entitled to their opinion on that. I personally am captivated by it, watching the guy work. Um, yeah, I, I, I find it... I'm a fan. There were, there were elements of James Tony in what he was doing yesterday. I'm not going to say he was a perfect replica, but you could see the philosophical alignment that he had with a lot of what Tony would do in terms of defensive patterns. And that, that ability to just fight in really intense bursts and be reasonably accurate. Not as accurate as Barry Jones and Rawling were trying to make out because a lot of Fury's work was hitting Wilder's gloves. That high guard Wilder has was actually a really underrated weapon and probably stopped him shipping more punishment than he otherwise would have. Like Joshua would have eaten a lot more of those punches. Um, so then just before we slide off into the distance from this, this chat, who wins a rematch? I just think it's, the, I think it's the same fight part two. Um, Fury's just, uh, can I go 12 rounds without being touched? Wilder's like, can I hit him within 12 rounds? It all, it, I, and I suppose that is all on a knife edge at the, there. So. The only difference you can make, and I think this is for both parties, is will someone go to the body? I felt Fury missed a trick. Like he'd go one, two left hook and he wouldn't come down to the body afterwards. And I think that would have kept Wilder's right hand a bit more disciplined, you know? And sometimes you've got to do that. Just come to the body with that left hook because that, take, that takes it out of you. So I think body work will be the key. Does anyone really start embracing the the body attack and if so what happens there um a quick one i also had a question from a friend that asked if wilder comes in heavier does that give him the advantage of punching harder yes because i think he can carry a bit more weight and not lose speed like he came in at 212 pounds like that's insane that's probably what Usyk weighed against bellew just let that sink in for a second yeah that's Usyk's in-ring weight so, can because Wild, Wilder's been as high as two twenty nine, and he's been equally as fast. So, I don't see the difference. I just so think, what was the purpose of him dropping to that weight then? He, I don't think he cares about weight. I think he just goes in as he goes in. If he feels good, that's the weight he'll go in at. But there's something there's a purity to Deontay Wilder, a rawness that is appealing. I do you must know what admit. he is? It's do almost like he doesn't care because he's got his big. It's almost like a. Uh, a soldier in the war everyone's sort of like tactics 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 and there's this one guy with his bazooka that goes i don't care i'm just gonna stand the battlefield smoking until i pull out my bazooka paul van riper you have to explain that reference to me um so i remember the, i think it's in the it's in the Mal malcolm gladwell book but essentially paul van riper was a vietnam vet and so forth and he'd, i think he'd retired from the military the Americans needed to do an, a military exercise, like a simulate, like a, I think it was a computer simulation of an attack. So they put Van Riper in as the bad guy, right? And they had all the American generals and chiefs of staff and stuff as the good guys. So the exercise was meant to run for a week. Yeah. So they basically say to Van Riper, mate, we're just going to give you really shitty boats and not very much that you can do anything with. Yeah, and it's all really shit so they're like alright mate basically they set him up to lose 
So all he does is he takes the small fishing boats they've given him, turns them into essentially moving bombs, sails them into the US warships, basically scuttles half the US fleet with these <laughs> renegade boats. He's sending messages via courier, so it's like hand-to-hand on motorbikes and whatnot. He basically... <laughs> He breaks every rule by basically blitzkrieging the, the US Navy. So I think like after a couple of days, they shut down the exercise and they go, mate, stop, right? And then they stopped him doing all the stuff he wanted to do. And they said, okay, so all you're going to do now is sit there and do nothing while we attack you, okay? And, that, that, and, and it was that thing of just being bold in the actions that you take. Okay. And sometimes that's the thing that people least expect. Well, I mean... It's a it's an it's a interesting reference, and it allows go go away and look that one up, people, because that's <laughs> I certainly will. But yeah, f- I I had there's like I said, there's a purity to him that you you think surely he's not just going to keep launching a right hand attack, and he does, and to some extent, it's like you know s- someone having. Um, a piece of concrete on the end of a punch cannon that they just constantly like there is it gets to the point where there is no defense against it if it keeps launching it you've got to be so focused for all of those rounds for that entire time that it's just like i mean we said it before like literally once he's just got to catch you and yeah, yeah and, and it's did. over um I agree with you. I, I before this podcast, I hadn't necessarily thought about that, but I do agree that I boxing doesn't work this way, and I accept it. And there will be plenty of precedents, I'm sure, in the history of uh, the analogs of boxing. But to become a champion after being knocked down twice and not inflicting a, a knockdown on your opponent, there is some there is some element of a damp squib about it, and so. From that perspective, I I take some solace. And as I've also said, I don't necessarily think the draw is the worst result in the world. Um, There was, as we understand the contract negotiations, there was to be a rematch clause anyway were Wilder to lose. And the only other conceivable outcome for this fight, as a majority of people have already sort of testified on on Twitter and, uh, and throughout the other forms of media, is a Fury win. So we were going to see... Uh, a rematch anyway yeah. by the th- by the looks of things and yes that would have potentially had uh well you know we would have all right fine in the history of the sport we would have we would have had a fury win rather than a draw but ultimately as you've kind of speculated it might not matter anyway because if fury does does win the next next fight were there to be one then we'll probably see a rematch anyway and if wilder fights it uh, wins the fight what you're saying is there might be a third one anyway so to some extent you're trying to lock in your revenue right <clears throat> unless Wilder wins that last fight which he really didn't unless he was going to knock Fury out I mean both fighters in different ways almost won that fight it feels to me like that is you know all things considered I I have I have peace with the draw personally yeah I'm not I'm not upset with the draw I'm okay with that um, do you have anything else to add on the fight? No, 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 no. I think we've, we've done enough. We definitely have. Um, right, so the Goodwin show last night. Yeah, so obviously I told you it was good to catch up with a fair few people like Riku and whatnot. It was, it was lovely. But, and I know there's a question on it, right? I think let's start with a question that, that I sent you guys in the group chat. Um, 
I believe it's this one. Is it possible, as we have all done in the past, to look at some of the boxes you are affiliated affiliated with through rose-tinted glasses and build them to be something they're not? Wow, I think that's definitely definitely true, is it not? Well, so so so, and I know why it happened. So th- so this happened yesterday. <clears throat> And I have to be cautious because I don't want to say anything on this podcast that I haven't said to the people in question because I have to have separate conversations with them and share my views in a more frank and perhaps transparent way. But there were people who didn't perform to their capabilities. And they're people that I've mentioned on this podcast. So guys can read between the lines on that one. And they didn't perform. And in both cases, it left the fans underwhelmed. So there weren't many cheers and there wasn't much in the way of noise. And it was a shame. And it was not really a shame for me. Like, if I'm wrong about something, I can live with that. I'm, I'm wrong about many things in my life. But I feel for them because this is what they said they wanted to do. And this is their chance to show the public that this is what they want to do. And they didn't grab it. And that's the difference. So boxing's a mindset sport. If you don't have the mindset, you'll never, you'll never be good at it. I don't care what technical skills you have, what athletic gifts you have. If you don't have the mindset to smash another human being in the face repeatedly with discipline and control, I can't help you. No one can help you. But as for whether I'm seeing it with rose-tinted glasses, no. Because the things these people had done prior to turning pro put them among the elite in, I mean, in the amateur game. They were competitive at the elite level. You're talking about guys who were giving Olympians hell in fights and were losing on split decisions. You're talking about people who boxed in tournaments to a very high level. So... If they don't transition into the pros, that can't be my fault because I don't train them. And it might not even be the trainer's fault because they might have a formula that works. The question becomes, what's going wrong between amateur and pro? My hypothesis has always been this. You shouldn't have to change much to go from amateur to pro. And you shouldn't have to change that much to box in bloody four-rounders, for God's sake. Like... You're boxing against someone who's probably paid to fall over. What is it you need to do over four rounds that you weren't doing against other elite amateurs over three three three-minute rounds? I don't understand that. So my ethos in life has always been you train one way and that should take you through the amateurs and that should take you through the pros. Some people don't. They train you to win amateur tournaments and then you end up being quite mediocre as a pro. Um, you know, look at guys like Kurt Garvey. Kurt Garvey, great amateur, ABA champion in 2012, comfortably so, is struggling as a pro because the style that he was taught as an amateur is not conducive to pro success. So all of his boxing sensibilities are about tippy-tap-tap-tap, tippy-tap, moving in and out. And he's, he's fighting guys whose boxing sensibilities are about just ripping shots and taking heads off. And he's struggling with that. So... No, I don't think I'm looking at stuff through rose-tinted glasses. I'm looking at potential. I'm looking at what people have done and said, this person is perfectly suited to being successful as a professional. Whether they want to grasp that opportunity or not, I can't control. 
I can only lead them to that door. What you do once you step through is up to you. It might be a time where people admit, stick with your amateur coach and the pros. Don't change trainers. Because what are these trainers doing that your amateur trainer wasn't doing? There's probably not that much. People fall in love with this stuff. But no, I don't think it was rose-tinted glasses because I didn't buy a boxer loads of kit and get my logo put on the shorts and start proclaiming the return of James Tony. That's rose-tinted glasses, you know, just putting it out there. <laughs> but no, so in response to that, look, you know, I had two guys on there. They didn't perform to their best. I was disappointed for them, but I can't be sympathetic because this is now your job. Your job is to entertain me. But based on Saturday, I won't be buying another ticket off anyone. Like, you're only as good as your last performance. So I'm not buying another ticket. I'm just being real. I'm not buying another ticket. Yesterday cost me over 200 quid. Do you know what I mean? Over 200 quid. And I had to go and watch that. I'd have just come as press. If I knew it was going to be like that, I'd have just come as press. <laughs> but if I come as press, I won't be able to speak as honestly as I can now about the Goodwin show. So, you know. Oh. You got your paper there. What have you got on the paper? Oh, okay. There's, right. There are 16 bouts on the program from yesterday. And at random, I'm just going to give you my views on the names here. What, the quality of their names? I don't think that's their fault. I'm completely honest with you. Below average, below average, below average, well below average, below average, well below average, well below average. How are these people still boxing? Why are they still boxing? This isn't good enough. I can wow. see you looking really? at names as you say that. Really? Are we really talking about this? Look, underperformed, underperformed, poor, poor. Where's all the hype? I don't understand. Get off the this. fence, Terry. This isn't good enough, right? 16 bouts and there's no one here. Like, I'm actually going to say the name that I do respect in all of this is, well, there's two names I respect in all of this. Dion Juma, Miles Shinquin. are the two names where I'm like, yeah, okay, you guys can do your thing. You know, Waddy was there yesterday and there's an example of someone who, despite adversity, has come back. But on that Goodwin stable, who's, who's any good? You know, and I'm getting called up having rose-tinted glasses. How many times are you guys going to your call? And who, who are you watching that's any good? You're just going out there. You're buying tickets because you're like, oh, I need to support this guy. No, you don't. You don't need to support anyone. These guys are not good enough. Steve Goodwin is a promoter and he needs to tell these people that he manages and promotes. You guys are not good enough. It's not Steve's fault. Steve spent thousands of pounds on those screens. I like looking at those screens during a fight. Steve's created a small hall experience that is unrivaled, and he deservedly won the Promoter of the Year award mm. at the Southern Area. Thing. That was that was awesome. I was really I'm really for happy that. for it. Yeah. But when is he going to sit there and say this? Like this is why Ring Talk is is not what it needs to be. Because on Ring Talk, you have to hear all of this nonsense. You don't get the truth. They're not good enough. A hundred odd people on the list of people he manages and 97 of them are not any good. Okay, so my question would be, if people are paying to watch... Why are they paying to watch? <laughs> well, yeah, okay. But if they're enjoying it... Enjoying what? What are, They're not enjoying the in-ring product because it's horrible. I'm just saying, if they do, is it wrong to put that show on? No, hold on. And this is not Steve's fault, right? I, I want to absolve Steve for this because Steve provides a platform and Steve says... Well... He, no, no, Steve says, here's a platform. 
you go on there and you excel. I'm questioning where you're coming from on this because if you're saying this shouldn't be happening, but Steve's putting it on, how are you able to absolve Steve of blame? Well, because Steve provides the platform, right? It's like YouTube. If all the videos on YouTube are shit, that's not YouTube's fault. That's the content creator's fault. But then what, who, no, no, what Steve should be doing, in my opinion, is he should be a gatekeeper and he should be like, mate, you're not good enough. You're not enhancing my product. Right. But what about, he said, what about if that boxer, if you were that frank with that boxer and he said, yeah, all right, but I love it. And I've got 250 people that are going to buy tickets and I want to fight. Then I'm going to question the 250 people. What the <laughs> fuck are you watching? <laughs> People watch X Factor every week. No, no, but what, no, what are you watching in your core? What are you watching? Because let's just go. I back know here. someone who paid over two hundred pounds to go to last night. Do you know what? And I'm <laughs> and, I, and I'm 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 dripping in regret. <laughs> the company was fantastic. So I mean, Riku, Winnie, like, I have so much love for those guys, and it was good to watch it with them. But I'm watching this, and I'm saying to myself. Every one of these fuckers in the ring is either not good enough or is not delivering what they should be delivering. Why? So Why? They're all managed by the same guy. Why is he not reading them the riot act? Because when I, when I finish this podcast, I'm getting on the phone and I'm going to tell certain people what I saw wasn't good enough. And it wasn't good enough because you're a fucking professional. You are a professional boxer that trains five days a week. What are you learning? If I can tell you now, a heavyweight boxer should be attacking 28 to 32 times. Does your trainer not know that? Do your friends not know that? Why is it me that has to always come on here and say this is, it's not good enough. And we're projecting a very poor image of what boxing should be. Now everyone's going, oh, well, why don't you go and train people? Because there are other things in boxing that turn me off. Forget the the in-ring product. There's this other stuff that turns me off. But what I saw yesterday was people who have talent, but the performances aren't good enough. They're not good enough. Like I said, and that's what I absolve Steve blame for. He doesn't control those performances. But what Steve should be is the guardian of his product. Yeah? And Steve should be saying, you can't come on here Unless I know you can handle these four by threes. You can handle any journeyman I put in front of you because you're meant to have those elite level skills. If you can't show them in your hall on a Saturday night, I can't put you on, no matter how many tickets you sell. Right, okay. But again, to play devil's advocate here, Steve just won promoter of the year. So in a from a promotional sense and from a pr- product sense, he's doing everything right. No, 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 this is luck, man. Who, who knew Renda McKenzie was going to be what it was going to be? No one. There's some things that Steve has looked. Like when you make Miles well, Shinquin versus but, Joel McIntyre. Steve, Steve might argue that he, he could see something in that. In what? Uh, Cello Renda, Leon McKenzie. Nah, I couldn't. <laughs> Listen, Renda came in last minute. That wasn't the original fight. It was, we need an opponent. We'll just get Render in. And then we just chemistry. Get or, or, or chemistry. No, no, that was not the original opponent. You, you wouldn't pick Render as an opponent unless you really had to. But as it happened, that was a hell of a fight. And you get those every so often. But what about the two or 300 other bouts that happened where, not that they're shit fights, right? From a matchmaking perspective. 
the person doesn't perform. Um, that's my question. Who's policing the performances just, of the fighters? I just think the hard part is what are you comparing it against? Because we watch, we watch, we I I don't I don't obviously watch all these things, but I'm just going off what you've spoken about in the past. We we've heard reviews of next gen shows where every single fight is turgid. We've I've watched matchroom shows where basically everything is is hinged on that main event fight where we've said mm-hmm. you should be getting three high quality fights for pay-per-view but we're expect mm-hmm. we're accepting one pa- one decent fight so no, no, on no, the, no. in the grand scheme of things uh, just okay. pre- let me finish <laughs> on the grand scheme of things when you look at let's say that card you're you're castigating here when whatever you see that in the, in the sort of tiers or the hierarchy of boxing perform or card performances what can you compare it against and say okay. it's not good enough? Because okay, it seems no, 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 to be no, no. that I, I, it's quite a barren landscape no, 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 no. for good so, quality boxing at the so, moment. So I think I think so. I gotta be clear about what I'm saying here. I have no issue with the matchmaking. If you tell me this lad's got to fight a Lithuanian binman because he's still learning his trade, fine, I'm cool with that. If you're telling me Miles Shinkwin has to fight Joel McIntyre for the English title, fully understand that I'm on board. If Dion Juma has to fight Ozzy Gervais for the Southern area, I'm on board with that, right? They're fights that kind of write themselves. If Wadi has to fight Isaac Chamberlain, these are fights that write themselves and you will hear no criticism from me. So let's park those sorts of fights to the side. Okay. The fights I'm on about are 4-0 guy here fighting Lithuanian Binman there. Why is this four and O guy allowed to coast through the four rounds and not perform? That's what I'm questioning. Who's pulling him up and saying that's three fights in a row where you haven't fulfilled your potential? This isn't good enough. You're harming my product. And I think it's true for Steve. I think it's true for Errol Johnson. I think it's true for Steve Wood. I think it's true for Dennis Hobson. I think it's true for. All of these guys, Mo Pryor as well. Let, we'll come on to the British Warriors show as well. All of these guys should be guardians of their product. And they should be watching the performances going, this isn't good enough, or you're not progressing. Why are you not progressing? Because so, as long as you keep sitting there on a weekly basis going, I thought that was a good performance, I thought he did well, and you keep doing this, this is what these people are believing. But it's not good enough. I'm not buying another ticket unless someone can show me a performance that shows that this guy can actually do it at a high level. I'm just struggling to find where you're pinning the blame on this because if you're supposed to be a guardian, you're not a guardian, then it's on you, right? No, 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 no. So the boxer takes most of the responsibility because they have to deliver a performance. But if people are buying tickets for him... They should stop. That's what I said to you right at the beginning. Stop okay. encouraging this behavior. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare situation where we've got, we're complaining about a product being too popular for its own it's not even level. Too, it's not even too popular. It wasn't full yesterday. It's not popular. That's the point. It's not popular because now people are like, I can't keep paying 60 odd quid, 100 odd quid, 40 odd. I can't keep paying this amount of money for all of these guys and none of them are going in there and doing the job like shouts out to I think it was I want to say it was Harlem Eubank who starched the guy that he was he was boxing I think it was last weekend oh I did see it yeah. starched yeah, see it. him that's a performance if he said to me do you want to buy a ticket yes do that again just on that uh, I saw some feedback that called it Thought sort of a bit tasteless that his opponent was lying Sparco and he was jumping all over the ropes. Does that bother you? 
just no because because that's the adrenaline right so mm. what happens is you do that and normally you're training well may, 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 tone it down right and then you go okay let me make sure he's okay yeah but that okay. comes with experience because look that's probably the first time like i watched him box i think it was in the novices two maybe three years ago he didn't have that kind of power so he's probably hyped that he just put someone down like it's never happened probably before so i I get where it's from, but as long as you can rein it in quickly, I don't think that's an issue. Okay. But that sort of performance, I'll buy a ticket for. You can't keep grinding out 40, 36 wins for me. You can't, because that tells me that you're going nowhere. I think ultimately, what I... Oh, can't, I can't do that. I was just about to relate it to something that I said I would never do again. Yes. So I yeah, can't. no football analogy. <laughs> if you're... There's, can't have any of that kicking there's off. There's plenty of people around the country that pay to go and watch sporting events of all manner of, uh, all manner of levels, which, from my perspective, I would watch and go, why the hell are you paying to watch that dross when there are better sporting spectacles. Now, when you look at the amount of boxing we have in this country in terms of live shows, and a lot of it sometimes isn't necessarily just purely for the boxing, it's about the community and that sort of thing. I, I don't know what what you could do to enhance it. Well, so so that part I don't have an issue with. That's what, that's what I had to separate the discussion. What Steve's created with Goodwin Boxing as a proposition, fine. I'm on board with that. Saturday, you come down to your call, bring your mates, have a few beers, have a laugh. My concern is the in-ring product right now. And I'm saying, who's saying this isn't good enough? I don't think anyone is because it's because working on a business some, no, level. Someone has to say this isn't good enough. Do they? If it's working on a business level? For how long? And, and, and so, so we go back to, you know, these whole things of, well, it's working today. But there'll be someone somewhere who's like, how can I subvert what's going on over here? They're all happy and comfortable with their little bit of revenue that they're making. But isn't this just an argument free market? It's working. No, no. but this is why stuff like white collar starts to take off. Because it's like, well, if I'm just going to watch two people who don't know what they're doing, just swinging it out, <laughs> let me at least go and do that over there. <coughs> it's cheaper. And I get to sit around a table, maybe get some food. Do you see what I mean? And so what you end up having is the distinction between being an amateur and a pro is not that great anymore. Like there are amateurs now who are significantly better than the pros I saw yesterday. They like put them in a four rounder with 10 ounce gloves, they'll win comfortably. But a lot of them just choose not to go pro. The money doesn't make sense. So they're like, right, I'm all right. Just I mean, banging heads over here, right? So you got that distinction melting. These guys are coming from the white collar world, the unlicensed world into the professional ranks. So that distinction now erodes. So essentially, I mean, there's no, this isn't, you being a pro is not a badge of quality anymore. It's just saying you want to sell tickets to your mates. Because I look at the Goodwin roster and I go, who's ready for television? How many years has this been going? Like I went to my first Goodwin show in 2013, Andy. Who's ready for TV? Who's ready to be on a televised show on that stable? And when I mean a televised show, not just against the Lithuanian binmen, but for a fight, maybe for an English or British, who's really ready for that? And if Steve says, I don't care, fine. But I won't be buying a ticket. Anyone that wants to buy a ticket, cool. I mean, that's what the free market's about. I don't get it. I'm not buying another ticket. 
until that in-ring product improves. And I can speak to the people I speak to and say, look, I wasn't happy with that. You're better than that. Why are you not performing at the level you're capable of? What's the issue? Let's resolve the issue. And let's get you performing. Because if you really want to be a pro, you should be leaving no stone unturned. And of the fights I saw yesterday, there are a lot of stones in the road. I don't think intrinsically people have an issue with, with that. I, I think just by, by the, uh, culturally, at the very least, British people expect that if you're going to do something, you do it properly, as, you know, by and large. Um, and there's nothing worse than watching a professional turn up in horrendous shape for a sporting event, be that boxing or anything else. Um, so I, I think the people would be largely in agreement with you there, but it very much depends on what angle you or what microscope you analyze it under and, and how you, how you watch it. If you are purely there, if the, if the, the boxing sporting spectacle is secondary to the reason you're going there, then I don't, th people won't have the same mindset as you and then they'll continue Mate, going. Why don't, for why don't we do live shows every week? Why don't we? Yeah, because we know <laughs> the only time to do a live show is when we can focus on it. Right, number and one, people want to buy tickets. Well, well, no, well, well, no pe people would. They'd be like, "I support." This is the same way people yeah. listen. Our fans are very good for that. Ev yeah. Every week we record, we have to ask ourselves, "Can we deliver today?" And so we have to go at it with our best endeavors, and we've got to do our research. We've got to prep. And we've got to know our stuff. <clears> I can't come yeah. on here. Yeah, amen <laughs> to that, Terry. <laughs> no, nah, but look, look, you get shit hooked up. We got the, the 52 channel mixer here. We got the microphones that Diana well, Ross News with the Supreme. boxing this week, so I yeah. did do some research. Yeah, so look, we got the laptop, <laughs> we got the audio input. We've invested money in this because we want the product to be good. Yeah. I don't want it to be tinny or it's EQ'd all wrong and people are struggling to listen on their way into work. We've addressed these things and we've put money into these things because we want the product to be good. That's what we invest in. And if people tell me, Terry, this is what you can do better. And people have told me that before. And I've wound some things in, I've moderated and I've improved as well. That's what, so, and I'm saying the same thing about the in-ring product. Those guys who are jumping in there, because this is what happens, right? Before the fight, yeah, I'm having a fight. Watch me put this guy out. I'm going to show people I'm the best thing since sliced bread. That's what you get before you buy the ticket, right? <laughs> All on social media. Fine, you're promoting yourself. You buy the ticket. The day after, didn't box well, but wins a win. It's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I didn't buy the a wins a win ticket. I bought the fireworks, the fire and brimstone ticket. I didn't see fire and brimstone, so you can't just tell me a wins a win. I don't go into HR Owen and say, look, can I get the Bugatti Veyron? And he comes out with a mini John Cooper special S and goes, mate, it gets you from A to B. So like, no, that's not what I came in for. I came in for this very thing I asked you about. This thing that you sold me. This isn't what you sold me. That's, the, that's part of the issue as well. But we need to address this in-ring product. People need to be better boxers. Whether it's a management issue, a training issue, a fighter issue, I think it sits somewhere between those three. Okay. That's why I feel at the moment. It's somewhere between those three and someone has to address it. I think just in terms of yesterday's show, I'm just happy that Miles Shinquin won. Like, 
I'm a Shinquin fan. I like the fact that he's a contemporary of guys like Amir Khan and James DeGale. He's done it from, from when he was a baby. Like, you mean, Junior Olympics guy? He might have even, he's boxed, he's boxed named people in his career. I can't off the top think. And I think he's just been unlucky in life. I think in a different camp, in a different environment, Shinquin probably would have won a British at some point. Talented guy. I'm happy for him. I told Theobald McIntyre never beat Shinquin. Joel McIntyre's not the same guy since Conroy touched him because, you know, sometimes something takes a bit of your soul out of it. But more importantly, Shinquin's proof of what skills do for you. When you can perform your skills at a high level, you've demonstrated that Shinquin, uh, Wadi Camacho, these guys can always find a way to come back because they have the fundamentals to rely on. And that's the core component of a good in-ring product is can you rely on those fundamentals? One. Number two, can you execute them when hundreds of people are watching you? Uh, in other news? British Warriors show. Oh, okay. Let's touch on this. So on Friday, the British Warriors guys had a show. Quite frankly, I don't care who was on there now, but a friend of mine, Big Joe, was meant to be boxing. He was meant to be fighting a guy called Kent Kapanen, whatever his name is. So I've been with Big Joe probably for the last three or four weeks, just watching him get ready for this fight. Only to turn up on Friday and the fight hasn't been arranged. And it turns out that the opponent thought it was December 30th, not November 30th. And no one had bothered to check. So the lads booked himself a fight in Bellator over in Italy. I think that's already happened now. And you've just got Big Joe having done all the work, all the promo, brought people over, and there's no fight. This is what I mean about, it's just sloppy. And, and you know, British Warriors can get it as well, like, Number one, like, I mean, you've got 50 people in the venue. And, but this is why you've got 50 people in the venue. But you're, you're selling them dreams. And you have super talented people on your roster that you're shafting by being sloppy at how you do things. Just be better at it. Because the talent's there for the British Warriors. Like, there's no debate in that. I mean, you've got guys like Mason Smith. You've got guys like Alfie Price. You've got guys, ladies like Sherelle Brown. You know, you've got really talented people on that roster and they're just blowing it by not... So, paradoxically, the thing Steve does well, British warriors do badly. So Steve has this fantastic edifice that sits around his boxing promotion. It's slick, it's precise, it's efficient, it's professional. And the British warriors... It's like, your, it's like your dad organizing a boxing show. Do you know what I mean? Not, not, not to be just anyone's dad. There's no specific. Anyone's dad goes, you know, I'm going to organize a boxing show in the back garden. Anyone can come. But it, it, it's, you know, you've got a guy that comes down, he's trained for weeks and you go, right, mate, you ain't got a fight because we couldn't be bothered to check the fight was still happening. Um, Frank Buglioni has retired. Yes. Um... I'll just give my honest view on Frank's career. I think Frank's had a solid career. I think at a time when we criticise Anthony Yard for being a Frank Warren manufactured fighter, which I think is horribly unfair, we forget that for a long time Frank Buglioni was a Frank Warren manufactured fighter who pretty much had a similar record to Anthony Yard and was being groomed in the same way. It didn't work out for him for a number of reasons, but look, he managed to come back from that. 
But I, I always ask people, are we still going to say Hosea Burton is Frank Buglioni's best win? If so, fair enough. But I've said this on the podcast before about Frank. Frank was always a guy that knew too much to be good at boxing. And by that, what I mean is there's a degree of ignorance you have to have to be good at boxing. Like you can't, you can't be too intelligent and you can't, you can't have a, a broader view of life than boxing because otherwise you'll be there going, I don't need this in my life. So I think Frank fell into that trap of being comfortable where he didn't need all of that stuff. So, you know, I put him in that Matthew Macklin category of guys who had a good career, solid career, but were probably too intelligent to, to transcend the sport and become that sort of world title threat that they should have been. So good luck to him in retirement. Like I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, the stuff that I said a year ago about holding the belts hostage, it's not even relevant now because the world's moved on. I wish him the best in retirement. And, you know, he was a guy that was good for boxing. You know, he was, he was good for boxing. And he was a lot more than a ticket seller from Enfield. You know, he did his thing in the amateurs, probably in an era where it was super competitive. So congratulations to him on a good career. Be interested to see what he does next. Will he carry on with his boxing academy over in Italy? But hopefully, yeah, it'd be good just to see him around just doing his thing. But now, you know, congratulations to the guy he leaves with his health and with some fantastic memories. So finally, uh, Vasil Lomachenko fights Jose Pedraza at the weekend. Um, what do you know about this? It's what a, do you think about this, I should say? It, it, it will be another Loma masterclass. Um, you can only hope that Pedraza can cause the kind of Linares-type trouble, briefly troubling Lomachenko. But, and we saw it in the Gavodchik fight yesterday. There's something about these Ukrainian guys. And it gives me comfort because it's been part of my coaching philosophy from day one. I just believe you should be throwing a lot of punches in general. So I think combination punching, you know, being active, being consistent with it are the easiest ways to win a fight. And I think these Ukrainian guys have taken it to another level. So Lomachenko, Gavodchik and Usyk. Usyk as well. You know, and I'm sure there's a few other guys coming through. They've got the seven foot two light heavyweight. And I forget what his name is, but imagine that a seven foot two light heavyweight. Mr. String Bean. <laughs> <laughs> No, so, so it'll be good. But, but he's definitely, surely he's got, just on a separate note, he's, surely he's got to start coming up the weights. Well, he's at 135 at the moment. And he you must say, be emaciated as a boxer. Hmm? He must be virtually emaciated. Oh, the seven foot two guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, what to say? Yeah, he'll grow into when he gets his man strength. But even so, imagine that seven foot two super middleweight. Like, where do you stop? Yeah, yeah, seven foot two. That's it's what, something like, that's like six inches taller than uh, Tyson Fury, I think, isn't it? I think he's six nine. About five, yeah, it's five, five six. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how big five, do you have the inch. ring for him? That is that is a sexy weight size, uh, yeah. a sexy size. But I think my main area of interest is probably that Isaac Dogbay is fighting, and you know, Isaac's a friend of mine. So to the guys that say, "Do I have rose tinted glasses?" About most people, look at what Isaac did. Isaac's a world champion. So not always rose-tinted, man. It's about who grasps the opportunity afforded to them. Now, that guy did it off nothing. Very little money, very little promotion. 
just a guy that wanted to box and be good at his sport. And you can't coach that into people. You've either got it in you or you haven't. So good luck to him. You know, I like the work that Melissa's done with him, the whole Melt PR crew, DTM and all that. I'm really happy that they're doing their thing. So look, watch it just to get behind Isaac because you can then ask questions about why are British promoters not willing to work with this guy? Because he should be. He should be here fighting Galahad. He should be here fighting Scott Quigg. He'd even fight Frampton at 126, for God's sake. But no one's making these fights happen. And we should be asking questions about why these fights aren't happening. But it should be a good card. You know, I might be the sort of idiot that just flies out there on a whim on the Friday, come back on the Sunday. But yeah, trying to think what else we need to touch on. Congratulations to Kelly Harrington as well. So she was world champion at 60 kilos. If you remember two years ago, we talked about her on the podcast and I said, if there was no Katie Taylor, we'd be talking about Kelly Harrington. And so I'm glad that she's finally got that. Her, Dervla Duffy, you know, my Irish princesses. I mean, congratulations to them. Yeah, I mean, it's always good when people are successful. Um, always want to shout out Ellie Scottney. Love her to bits. Great young boxer. And she was unlucky in the world championships but outside bet for 2020. So I'd like to see what she does. Class act at 57 kilos, you know, as we like to say, she's one of our own. So I've got a lot of love for her. And I know he's listening. So big shout out to Charlie Harrison. No one will know who Charlie is unless you're part of the amateur scene. But well, you're actually Charlie. Even then, I don't think he knows. He's taking too many punches to the head. But no, Charlie's our club captain at Fitzroy Lodge. He's the perfect, like he's the archetype of an amateur boxer. Does it for the love of it. Great club man, brings the right kind of energy, leadership, all in such, he's, and he's still a very young man, but just one of those guys I've got a lot of time for. And, you know, if amateur boxing had a higher profile, he'd be one of the guys leading the charge. So I've got a lot of time for him. Big shout out to Charlie, man. Like, you know, legitimately, one of those guys I respect, good friend. And, you know, if you want to know how you do amateur boxing the right way, find him, Oats and Bali Charlie at Instagram, man. That's, that's where you find him if you need to. Right, I need to put a cork in this so that we can get you to your train. Yeah, will this, be out? will this be out on Sunday night? Yes, should be. Ah, fantastic. <clears throat> um, thank you very, very much for listening and your undying support for the pod. There is not much else to tell you. We'll be back next week, at uh, which point we'll be discussing, presumably, Lomachenko's win over Pedraza. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, I, I never give previews to next week, so I don't know why I'm trying to now. Thank you very much for listening. And have a good week. Bye.